Hello and welcome to the latest edition and the first of 2024 episode of the Atmospheres Electric. Uh, Fran, uh, first of all to you and all of our listeners, Happy New Year. I hope you had a great time off, a great Christmas with the family and a very happy new year to you and, and yours. Happy new year to you and your family as well and all the listeners. Uh, did you have a good one, mate? Did you have a nice break? Well, obviously, we took a, took a week off because it was just a little bit too hectic to squeeze it in. So did you have a nice break? Yeah, it was lovely. Thank you. Nice, nice and relaxing. Kids enjoyed Christmas. How about you? Sport to my eyes. And let me tell you, we're walking in the Littler Wonderland. Are you, are you, oh. are you walking on Luke Littler? It'd be great if he can win it, wouldn't it? I'd love to tell you I had a, had a pound on him to win before the tournament, but never heard of the kid. Had you not? So, yeah, so I actually... No. I, I actually uh, we do sporadically watch darts throughout the year. And the I think it's the match play or the Masters was on a couple of months ago. And uh, before the final, which Luke Humphreys won, they had the junior final. And they were bigging up this 16-year-old. And then they showed the two people and we were all like, well, the other guy's the 16-year-old. Luke Littler mm. can't be 16. He looks like he's 47, like with his beard and his chub. So, but then we found out Luke Littler was the, the 16-year-old, obviously went on to win it. So... Uh, that's the first I'd seen. So I've, I've known of him for like four or five weeks and I thought he had a chance of maybe getting two or three rounds. No chance would I put. He was 300 to one before the tournament started. Mm. Uh, but if he wins tonight, he goes to world number nine uh, from 156th or 162nd in the world. So, uh, and, and so impressive for a 16-year-old to be able to handle the noise and the pressure outside of darts. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. Even just on the stage, he just looks right at home, doesn't he? You know, he's, he's been getting the crowd going as well, you know, topping him up as well. I just think he looks unbelievable. Like I said, the, the composure of the lad during the game, but also after in his interviews, doesn't come across as a 16-year-old, does he? Uh, definitely. I mean, in, in every sense, not. Uh, and obviously, uh, Wayne Mardle last night explaining the atmosphere was electric made me, made me chuckle during the game. I did, I did, did notice that. So uh, maybe it's not just football, but maybe we can expand beyond football. Uh, or not if you hadn't heard of Luke Little, probably not a good idea. But let's get back to football. <laughs> and obviously, uh, there's been a, a lot of movement in the last couple of weeks, lots of fixtures. But a couple of kind of things that really jump off the page. And we, we're going to go, we're going to bounce about. Obviously, this weekend, there's no Premier League fixtures with there being FA Cup. So, so we've got a bit of time to actually kind of maybe do a bit of a recap, look at who needs what, look at where we're at. Uh, but before we do any of that, uh, I'm going to put you under a bit of pressure by by talking about New Year's resolutions when we talk about football, uh, and I'm going to I'm going to give you a couple of extra seconds by telling you mine, uh, and I am not going to talk about refereeing decisions ever again. Okay, it's pointless. It's pointless. It's it's a complete waste of time. I've, I've watched loads of TV over the Christmas period. People, you know, watch rara. Like, what's the point? There's there's Nothing's changing. The, the, the standard is what the standard is. I, I don't understand the rules of the game anymore based on what I'm seeing. I, I, I see uh, in the Arsenal game uh, when Odegaard hits his hand down by the sort of the floor, no penalty. In a different Arsenal game against Fulham at the weekend, I see Jao Paulinho come through, take the ball and then take Saka out. Like I've never seen anybody take Saka out, but no penalty. I've seen players sent off twice this season in Curtis Jones and Christian Romero from similar sort of tackles. I don't get it. I'm not interested in it anymore. There's no point talking about it. So for me, VAR and refereeing decisions, you're going to be talking to yourself on those ones moving forward, mate. I'm out. Okay. So I, mine was on a similar lines, I would say. Um, I'm going to try and look at decisions made by referees from the referee's perspective a little bit more. So I saw a, a thread on Twitter, X, the other day, uh, and it was around the, I don't know if you saw the red card, it was Tyler Morton got sent off. Uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before. And f from the, the general camera angle, it looked a red card. But then they started showing you different angles and they showed you the referee's angle and it looked like he flew in with two feet, which is why he sent him off. So I just thought it was really interesting. You know, with all the angles that we get, I think we just generally forget that the referee gets one angle and therefore we criticise them because they've not seen what we see. So that's going to be my resolution. I'm probably going to give referees less of a hard time but try to see it from their point of view. I think we've still it's still okay to criticise them, but I think you've got to have a bit more analysis of that decision first before you jump two-footed into a, the, the criticism of them. Yeah, it, it's not helping the game. It, this undermining of the referee's decision, the constant analysis of it, the constant reviewing of it, the slow-mo, the, the stills, the pictures, all of that stuff is, is not helping anybody 
And it's, you know, even now, every, every co-coms is talking about that should be a red, that shouldn't be a red. We, we've got lost, in my eyes, of, of trying to re-referee the game because I think the VAR's opened that door for that. But I think we've just got to calm down now and just go, do you know what? They're going to make some mistakes. Some of them are going to go against your team. Some of those are going to go for your team. I don't believe that there's a conspiracy theory against any football teams out there. Let's just talk about football because it's otherwise we, we're going to get lost in the, in, in the dirt, really. Mm. And they're human beings trying to do a job, right? If, if, it, if every time you made a decision at work, you had 400,000 people going, oh, Fran, you've done this day, you should have done that. Like, I don't think it's helpful. I don't think it's making, I don't think it's moving the game forward. No, and like I said, and they're not making mistakes on purpose, are they? So, yeah, I think just chill out on the, the criticism of them for a bit. And so what if it gets worse, then probably you can look to say, well, they deserve it. But like I said, it's not, it's, it's not it just us two moaning about it as well. Isn't it going to actually change the game, is it? So, yeah, I agree with you. So, uh, moving on to some fixtures. And, and, and I think, it, for me, what's been really apparent is actually we're going to start at the bottom part of the league table today because I think there's a couple of stories. Obviously, last time we was on here, obviously, there was the, the heartbreaking news of, of, of Tom Lockyer and, and, and his thankfully, he seems to be okay. But since then... It feels like, it looks like it's galvanised Luton. Uh, it looks like they're using that as a motivation to kick on and they're now very, very close to the teams above them. Uh, I think that's an interesting piece around uh, where they're going to finish up and what they're looking to achieve. Uh, how impressed have you been with them so far this season or since the last time we spoke? I think out of most of the teams in and around the relegation um, zone, they've been the team that's impressed me the most. I just think their commitment, their fitness levels... The sheer desire, um, the style of play. I love their style of play as well. I think it's you know it's high energy, it's high high pressing. I, I, they've just impressed me the most out of most of the teams around the relegation zone. To be honest, I think they've got a real shot of staying up. Um, the attitude of the ground, the, the staff there, the players. I just think it's really refreshing. And how how impressed have you been with with Rob Edwards as the coach? He seems to have nailed everything, every every kind of major conversation decision. He just seems to. Be- get the tone right every time doesn't he again I think he's been refreshing to the Premier League you don't hear from him a lot as well he's not a manager that sort of comes out and bigs himself up when you do hear from him I know there have been quite a few games on TNT Sports recently everything he says is really impressive it's really simple but he says it in such a way that allows people to understand as well I've been really impressed with him if Luton do go down he will be coming back to the Premier League very soon I would imagine whether that's bringing the Luton back up or somebody else hiring him do you think his stock is now higher than Vincent Company's? Absolutely. It's interesting because sort of last season Vincent Company was, I know for a fact, on on the list of top six clubs or those trying to get in the top six, if, if not. But actually, uh, maybe he feels like he's found his level. Whereas Rob Edwards looks like he could grow into a bigger team for me. I, I think so. I do feel though, if, if uh, both of them were available for a job, let's say the Fulham job as an example, you know, sort of a mid-table Premier League club. If that was available, I do think they'd go for Vincent Company over Rob Edwards just because of the name. I think that's still a, a huge part in football. I mean, you look at the recent Wayne Rooney appointment and sacking, he was there just purely on his name. I do still feel that people would go for that. So he's probably got a bit further to go, Rob Edwards, in you know, building his reputation. But I think if you were to analyse it and break it down properly, pound for pound, I think he's a far better manager and especially the achievements of what he's done. And he seems to be able to find, or they, the recruitment team, seems to be able to find some rough diamonds. Yeah, Ross Barkley and Andrews Townsend were out there for everybody to see, weren't they? They're, they're not secret entities. It's not like these players have come out of, you know, some far-flung land and no one's heard of them before. They're, they're both Premier League, you know, stalwarts, you know, getting on a little bit. But, but both of them have really added some quality, some passion, some, uh, you know, creation as well. Like they're scoring goals now. Even though they've lost at the weekend to Chelsea, you know, they still scored two goals, could have made it through at the end, you know, They've been two fantastic signings, haven't they? I think, especially Ross Barkley. I think if we if we're going to start talking about signings of the season, you know, we've done this uh, in a couple of pods. We never really mentioned Ross Barkley, but the way that he's been performing of late, especially, you've got to have him up there as one of the signings of the season. He's been superb, hasn't he? Like he's literally been running the show for Luton, and he's been a major factor of why they've had a resurgence up the table. Well, he, he backed like the, the player was at Everton back in the day, which made people you know interested in spending hundreds of millions, not you know, tens of millions of pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, have they got a chance? Have they got a chance? Oh, yes. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think out of all of the teams, the, the three promoted teams, that they've got the best chance. When you actually look at the table, then they're in touching distance, aren't they? They've got a game in hand. Um, they've definitely got a chance. They, they don't strike to me as a team. As you, we spoke about other teams before, like Villa, where they say, no, if they lose Ollie Watkins, they could be in trouble. Apart from Ross Barkley, the rest of them, it's very much a squad game for them, isn't it? You know, they do have a lot of rotation. The forwards seem to rotate. So I think they've got a great shout because of that squad and the way that they play. Big game next up, Monday the 15th of Jan, Burnley away. That could be make or break for both of them, couldn't it? It's a huge game. Absolutely huge. Especially if one of them can get a win, especially Luton, it might fire them out of the relegation zone. So talking of the relegation zone, I think for the time being, uh, it's probably not fair to keep Everton in the conversation based on the fact that they're beating with 10 points. And if they do, they obviously go flying up the league table. So until that's kind of known and... and you know, I think that the feeling in the game is that they will work that out. Uh, Brentford lost five on the spin and, and lost five against teams that you... It's not like they're the Man City, Chelsea, you know, they've lost to Brighton, OK, Sheffield, Villa, shouldn't have lost it. We got pumped by Wolves and they've also got pumped by Crystal Palace. Are Brentford right banging trouble now? I think they are, yeah. I was just looking at the table and I actually didn't realise that it was five on the spin and of where they were in the league. At this minute in time, if you were to look at some of those teams and you were saying, you know, Luton, Everton, Forest have just leapfrogged them, Palace have picked up a little bit. They all seem to be in better form, seem to be scoring goals, you know, picking up points here and there. Brentford are in free fall. I mean, the one thing you could say is Alvin Tony's back now, isn't he? But surely it's going to take him a while to get going again. Surely. You'd think so, but... You'd have an unfit Ivan Tony over what they've currently got because I think they've got um, Bromo is out injured or was out injured as well, wasn't he? So they have had very little firepower. So he's obviously going to make a massive difference, even if he is unfit. Um, obviously, getting him fit is going to be huge for them. So I think having him back is obviously going to be a huge um, positive for them. But like you said, how long it takes him to start firing is going to be a question. Could it be too late? Well, I've heard, uh, so don't hold me to this, but I've heard that he's now. Uh, not even an option to be sold in the in the January transfer window. Wouldn't surprise me in their position for that reason. Uh, and I think uh, what I've heard through the through the grapevine is that it would take if he was worth seventy million. I don't know, pick a number. Who, who am I to say? But let's say seventy million. It would take you forty million more than whatever his street value mm-hmm. is worth to get him in January. Now they're, they're just not prepared to take the risk. Which is interesting though, isn't it? Because I mean, we're probably going to go on to what other teams need, but you're looking, I look at someone like Arsenal, I think he is the absolute perfect fit for Arsenal, exactly what they need. So would they be tempted to, to go for that? If it's exactly what they need for, you know, still in the Champions League, still fighting for the title, would somebody like an Arsenal be willing to overspend to get somebody in like Ivan Tony? Again, kind of drawing in the dots, my understanding is that they can't do that with FFP. Mm. Uh, there's quite a few teams that are, are near the limit and, and January is a difficult window and, and uh, I think being honest with you that someone like Solanke at Bournemouth albeit still difficult to get out I think if you went to, to, to Bournemouth with 60 million I think you get Solanke whereas, whereas Tony's going to cost you 120 and plus he's still going to take maybe four to six weeks to get up to speed I, I, I think that he stays at Brentford now Yeah I would agree I think he does as well Talking of centre forwards, uh, Chris Pele Woods at Notts Forest. What's happened to him? I find it a real interesting one because I think where wherever he's gone, he's always scored goals, and that's in the Premier League, that's in the Championship. He's, he has always scored goals. He does always seem to be the striker, though. That you know, he starts well, scores goals, and then he does just seem to drift off. But if you give him a, a long enough run in the side. He will score goals for you. So it doesn't surprise me that he started scoring goals for Forest because he is a natural goal scorer. Like I said, everywhere he's gone, he scored goals. So obviously people won't know this because we didn't do a pod, but I, I, I had Notts Forest to beat Newcastle uh, on Boxing. I thought it was going to be quite comfortable, and it was. But that was some hat-trick, wasn't it? You know, you know, sometimes you kind of score a hat-trick and you go, yeah, OK, you know, Poacher's got it. A couple of them goals were absolutely right out of the top draw. Notts Forest looked like a completely different team all of a sudden. Yeah, well, we, we were talking about Nuno, weren't we? And I think it is just a case of, you know, fresh fresh eyes on a squad sometimes, you know, fresh ideas can really give you that little lift, can't it? 
and he is very defensively minded. But he has got those forward players that he can you know, almost go, well, we'll defend and we'll give you the space to go and attack. And I think that's exactly what he's done. And I say, we both don't, didn't really think he was the right appointment, did we? But it seems to have given the squad a lift. I would also say it's whole fire. If you, if you look at some of his previous appointments, he won manager of the month early doors and then was fired sort of 10 games later. So he does seem to have that mm. new manager bounce. Uh, and I wonder whether Chris Wood's benefiting from being the main man. Like where obviously there's injuries in the squad, you know, he knows he's going to be starting. He's got a, a, good, a good run at it. And whether actually all he needed was that confidence of a new manager to come in and go, hey, you're my number nine. You know, you're my mm. number one, if you like, whatever you call it. Go and score some goals. And... Uh, he just he's looks the exact, like a handful. Yeah, well, he's the right he's the right mould of striker, isn't he? For some for a team that's down there that plays one up front. You know, he's a big, big bloke. He holds the ball up well. He's not particularly quick, but decent in the air. You know, and can finish. So he's the right mould of striker. You know, he's very similar to a one year in that sense. Um, so it's not like they brought somebody in who's a very different striker. He is like a bit of a carbon copy of a one year, same style of striker. So they're going to play that same brand of football regardless of the striker. And yeah that he must have that confidence knowing that he's going to be the, the main forward for a good few weeks now. And if you take, you can't because it's pointless, but obviously they've beaten Newcastle and Man U in the last two games, six points, which, you know, yes, I can sit here all big and brave and say, oh, actually I had money on both of those to win. But, you know, they weren't, they, they were big odds. You know, it was against the, if they hadn't have had that, they'd be on 14 points, they'd be in the bottom three. We just spoke about uh, Bernie Luton Next round of fixtures, Brentford Notts Forest is just as big. I mean, the loser, that's the, loser of, the loser of that game is in a is, is in a spot above because you know, let's say Luton win. Uh, I'm not that's not my prediction by the way, but let's just they go to 18 points. All of a sudden, Brentford and Notts Forest, one of them's on 19 or 20 points. They're they're banging trouble. They absolutely are, yeah. And, and just, you've got to be looking more at Brentford in that case, haven't you? Because you look at the form and you say Forrest have picked up two wins out of two. You've got to be looking at Brentford because if they lose again, they're absolutely dropping like a stone. So, yeah, they're both banging trouble, especially, uh, I mean, we, we've both spoken about Lut- uh, sorry, Everton as well, haven't we? Saying we don't think they're going to be in it. But in reality, they still are. You know, they've, they've now just gone three in a row, three losses in a row. So even though we, we think that they're going to be out of it because they, they look like they're going to have too much, in reality, they still are in it. Yeah, that that, that three 0 defeat to Wolves was a bit of a shock um, mm. in the manner of it. You know, not that Wolves aren't. You know, Wolves have been. We both talked about Gary and it was being a phenomenon and what a great job he's doing. But I just think uh, that was a spot. You know, I thought that was going to be a really close game. I could have seen that being a two-two. You know, I thought that was going to be a really entertaining sort of two and fro game. But but Wolves just absolutely battered them, and, and that was a worry off the back of. What had felt like a, even the games they lost against Spurs, they were unlucky. Probably, possibly could have got a draw or win. You know, even the Man City game, they went ahead, so it looked like they'd really turned a corner against the big teams as well. To then go and get pumped by Wolves was, was a real surprise. That, down the bottom there, the one team that, that kind of sits possibly safely, but again, you know, Crystal Palace. Now, mm. is it as simple as keep Eze and Elise fit, and they've got a chance, or do you think there's a bigger problem because? You know, like I said, there's a Steve Cooper kind of lurking in the background here now. That that, that I wonder whether it's one of these teams down the bottom they could could try and make a change. Could could try and maybe like is it time to let Roy Hodgson go and bring a new young fresh blood? Because obviously you know the Crystal Palace squad's quite young. You've got two of the, in my eyes, the most exciting young midfield sort of talents in the country in in Elise and Eze. Is it time for somebody to make a change down the bottom? There, do you think? Palace are a strange, a strange one for me. So, with, you, you say you can't take away wins, but you take away their previous win against Brentford, they would have been below Brentford and looked mm. bang in trouble, didn't they? They had horrendous form, didn't like the scoring goals, but Elise looks like he's back to his best, doesn't he? And, you know, you've mentioned him in previous pods, and I've said he doesn't look to me all that. I can see he looks like he's stepped up a few more gears now, and he does look quality. He reminds me of Riyad Mahrez. Um, as a, I've always rated, and I think he's he seems to be coming back into fitness rather than form. At least he's the one for me. If they can keep those two fit all season, no problem. They stay up for me. They've got far too those two players will just have far too much. But the problem is, can you keep them fit? They've got quite a bad injury history, haven't they? Really, so that's going to be a problem. Do they look to change the manager? It's a great question. Um, I think it depends on your ambitions, doesn't it? I think if you're a Palace fan, yes, I think all of them possibly looking to change the manager because they want to change the style of play, look to progress. 
but they've tried that with Vieira before and it went wrong and had to bring him back. So I suppose I, I would personally stick with Roy Hodgson for the remainder of the season and then look to change in the summer because I think with Hodgson in charge and the two like wingers fit, I think they'll, they'll be fine. What I like what you did there, by the way, very well, is that you, you gave me a little bit of credit. You went, you, you know, you put, you picked Felice as being a player, but then what you then did, you went, he stepped up since you told me that. So he was, he was kind of right, but he was kind of wrong. I was kind of right. And now he stepped up. Now I think he's a good player because he stepped up. Uh, it's good skills. I like that. That's good. Uh, it's a talent. This is all that media training you've been through. Uh, so we talk about this, 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 keep it at the bottom. Obviously, uh, my, my 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 contacts, if you like, tell me that that Luton have just signed or about to sign Morgan Whitaker from Plymouth, the, the centre forward that's been banging goals in the championship for for a good you know good price, about four million quid. Uh, you know, if, if you could go down, which of these teams needs to really go? Do you know what? Let's let's give this transfer window a go and see what we can see what we can muster, see what we can do to, to give ourselves a chance of staying up. And, and what sort of players should they be looking for? So. For example, is there any point Sheffield United going into the market and spending 30, 40 million quid right now? No, I don't think there is because I do feel that their fate is probably sealed. However, they're not too far off, so they should be start looking to sign players. But I think they've got to do what Luton, you just said Luton there. They've possibly got to looking at players that improve the team's squad, but with also the option of going down and knowing that if you sign somebody, they've got a very good player for the championship. So... As an example, somebody in that those clubs should be highlighting is somebody like Kelechi Inacho at Leicester. He's out of contract, would possibly move to them. I'm not saying he's he, he would move, but someone like that that's not going to break the bank is out of contract to the end of the season. So it could probably cost you five to ten million pounds, and you've got a better forward than what you've got. So that's where I'd be looking. You know, something that's not going to break the bank. And so. Obviously, we know that Everton have got their problems with their FFP, so we're probably going to say they're going to have to be very imaginative if they're looking to bring anybody in. And actually, I think it's probably fair to say that when they've got their squad, they, they look like they are who they are. They've got, you know, uh, really for Everton, it's probably more a case of keeping players like Braithwaite, isn't it, in the squad rather than, than who they can attract, you know, keeping the, the, the core that they've got because actually they look like that they, that they could be all right. Yeah, um, I think teams like Everton as well, where you probably are a bit hamstrung by FFP, just be clever about some of the signings that you're looking to make. I mean, Calvin Phillips is out there at the minute, available for loan. Whether or not he goes to Everton is a different question, but teams like Everton should be going in for Calvin Phillips to get him on loan because he'd, he'd improve their squad massively and you'd be able to get him on loan relatively low wages, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think I think Calvin Phillips is going to be, end up abroad. My understanding is that Bayern and Juventus are looking at him. And if, if, that, oh, okay. that's half, if that's half, half true, you don't go to Everton. Uh, no, you don't. But... I think that the beauty with Calvin Phillips is that he's a free hit because he's only alone until the end of the season. He's worth a so if, you, if you've got midfield coverage that you need, and he obviously wants to play for the Euros coming up. Obviously, Brentford probably won't you won't see a huge amount of move because Ivan Tony is that new player, right? He feels like a new signing for them. So actually, you know, you said it. I probably agree with you that if you excuse me, if you can get him back and fit, he's probably enough to to score the goals. To, mm. to, to keep them up at least even if it's tight he's going to keep them up right yeah I think Brentford have a different problem though at the minute so they've obviously got a, a solution coming in with Ivan Tony. but from what I've seen from a lot of the Brentford fans on social media they really don't rate their keeper they think the keeper is is one of the worst in the league and they've been looking at a lot of the teams that went down last year and looking at their keepers but then looking at the squads and going well the squads weren't that bad it seems to have been the keepers you know Pizzuna and Danny Ward Southampton and Leicester and saying they highlighted them as real, you know, weak links in their teams, and that's the reason why they went down. And I think they are highlighting that in their squad, saying their squad's a decent squad, but the keeper just isn't a Premier League keeper. So possibly whether or not they, you know, because he's, he's a new signing, isn't he? Whether or not they go back in for another keeper is, is a question. But from what I've seen on social media, they really don't rate him. I think it's Flecken, his name is. That's it, Aaron Ramsdale. Yeah, absolutely, he's out there, isn't he? Yeah. Uh the irony of swapping where with Bertrand uh, Williams there wouldn't be lost uh, and isn't it funny how, how this year more than ever the goalkeeper signing or non-signing feels like it's been uh, a bigger talking point than ever before obviously with Vanana at Man United with Vicario at Spurs uh, you know if, if you get that right or wrong it becomes this thing that grows legs so now Vicario can't do anything wrong and Anana can't do anything right, even when Anana makes a great save, but he was expected to make it. And every time he makes it, uh, an error, it gets highlighted. You know, mm. 
Whereas Vakari actually has made some mistakes with his feet that have led to the other team having a shot that he's had to save. Mm. All we're doing is talking about the saves, not the mistake in the build-up. So it's interesting isn't it, how he can grow legs and be, become a... I, th- I think it's a really interesting point, especially over the past couple of seasons, because I mentioned two of them from previous years, and I think they had a big impact on the Southampton Leicester going down. But you look at teams this year, you know, Forest, the Forest fans don't rate either keeper. They don't rate Matt Turner, they don't rate, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name, or Kovvios or something. Um, they don't rate him at all. Um, but then you look around, you know, Burnley as an example, they were really happy with the keeper they previously had, signed Trafford. Don't think he's a patch on what they currently had. So I think the keeper is becoming a bigger part of football. You know, we spoke about it, you know, playing out with your feet, but Onana can't make a save with his hands. Like it's not all just about playing with your feet, isn't it? So I think the keeper is, is starting to become an even more important position on the pitch because we're starting to almost go back to, well, can they keep the goal out as opposed to kicking the ball? You know, if, if they can't kick a ball, they've got to have some level of ability playing football. So I think you're starting to see the keeper becoming more important because it's, it requires so many more things than just being a shot stopper or a kicker. Like, you need to be more well-rounded. And that's where I know that he just signed a new contract. Uh, but for me, Leno at Fulham, if, if I was Manchester United, Newcastle, uh, being honest with you, no, Liverpool has to get their first in keepers sorted. But, you know, Leno at Fulham has is, is, is been one of my favourite goalkeepers of the season so far. I think he's been absolutely phenomenal uh, across mm. the board, both with his hands and his feet, just calm, you know. And, and, and whilst we touch on Fulham, uh, I'm so pleased for Raul Jimenez to be making the comeback that he's made and playing the way he's playing and people giving him the recognition, albeit that uh, I'm sure you've seen it last night, Kai Rooney uh, going around telling everybody that, that he was about to sign for Birmingham if, if Wayne Rooney had, had been kept on. Not so sure myself, but we'll let that slide. I'm sure he knows more than me. Uh, but uh, you know, his performance against Arsenal uh, at, the, at the weekend was 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 a was a truly great was one of the great number nine performances, wasn't it? And it's great to have him back playing the way he was. And he looked like he was pretty injured, didn't he? Mm. When you especially look at um, you know, people talking about Saliba as being a generational defender and the best in the Premier League, he got bullied by Jimenez, absolutely bullied. And yeah, agree, it was a great performance for him, and it's really nice. To see somebody like him and as he comes across as a really nice, nice bloke as well, doesn't he? You know, he's had a lot of problems, injury problems, and has struggled for a long time, hasn't scored a goal in quite a long period of time. So yeah, it's great to see him coming back into form and bullying defenders like he used to in his heyday. So are we saying that it's Alice Down that are potentially in risk? Or are we saying that Fulham I mean Fulham are on twenty four points, three points above Palace who are kind of you know, that, that, that's nine points clear of Luton. It takes some kind of collapse for the next slash uh, uplift. Uh, are we saying it's Palace down that are still potentially in the mix for relegation? I think so. I think Fulham will have will have too much. It's interesting, isn't it? I think it's it's, it's an interesting piece and, and we we come to that mid table piece and again a couple of teams I just I want us to touch on obviously Chelsea look like they're They've turned the corner, but I just, I, just, I don't, I don't want to be a Chelsea basher. But, but you look at the teams over the last five games, you know, they lost to Everton comfortably, you know, but they beat Sheffield United eventually. Lost to Wolves again. I watched that game. Really don't know how they did. Raheem Sterling just got his score in there, mate. Uh, then they beat Palace two one and Luton three two. So they, they've picked up nine points, but they're still not convincing, are they? They're still not blowing teams away like that squad should. I thought the the previous game against Luton was the best game to sum up their season. I thought they looked superb for 50, 60 minutes and blew, and did blow Luton away. They looked by far to have too much quality and it did blow them away. But then in, in a five-minute period, it looked like they didn't know how to kick a football. And I thought it just summed up their season. Like you had, it was, the, the, what's the phrase? The tale of two halves, a game of two halves. It was almost like, one of the halves was split in half and they went from the sublime to the ridiculous. Like they're, they're just the most consistent, inconsistent team, aren't they? Along with Manchester United. I just can't put my finger on them. They do look like they're turning a corner. And when we said, look at the teams they've beat, previously they weren't beating them. So it does look like they are turning a corner. But I wouldn't be putting money on them to beat teams because you just don't know what's going to turn up. And I guess we can then throw that label firmly at Newcastle as well. I mean, mm-hmm. they, 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 they look like they're a, a three-point banker. Really. I mean, obviously they beat Fulham, but let's not forget that Fulham had a player sitting off very early in that game. Very, very early in that game. You know, they went on to lose to Luton, to Notts Forest, and obviously the, the, the classic on New Year's Day against Liverpool. Was it just that they were overachieving last season and, and, and 
maybe teams have sussed them out or, or do we need to do what we should have done with Man United at the start of the season which they, people have done for other teams is they're just missing still too many players but so I just I looked at that starting 11 on uh, New Year's Day and it didn't look that far from what they would be producing if they had their full team out that's right. So I've, you know, I, I think it's been led into a bit of a, a trap around injuries, haven't they? And don't be wrong, they have got injuries. But I, like you, looked at that eleven. I thought, who's missing from that eleven? I didn't really see a lot of people missing. So they did look to be at pretty full strength. Yes, the bench looked poor. Is it that they're just trotting out the same players every single week and are just absolutely knackered? Possibly. Was it that they've overachieved? Yes, they definitely overachieved last year, and I did think that they would drop off, but not to this extent. They've gone from again top of the table, pushing top of the table to not beating some of the real low um, sides in the league. I find it really difficult to put my finger on. I do. I'd look at the odds of uh, next manager to be sacked, and he's got to be under enormous pressure there because the owners obviously want success, and to go from you know being amazing to where they are currently in this run of form, he's got to be under huge pressure. I'm going to do a, a little bit of a deep dive into the analysis in the sense that they've lost Tenali, who was supposed to be the guy that frees up Gamarish to go and do what he does. And if you look at the stats from last season to this season, Gamarish was assisting, scoring. He was a he was a phenomenon. He was an absolute monster, wasn't he? In that mm. slightly more advanced role. But now that Tenali's been out of the team for so long, Gamarish is in there on his own, which is kind of kind of hampered him. So in some ways. Uh, as we talk about many times, it's those partnerships on the pitch that you need. Like, you know, the, the right back needs the right midfield player and vice versa. And, and, and you can't just kind of go, oh, well, he's playing badly without understanding the players around them aren't the same people. Mm. So, so sometimes, you know, it feels like that he hasn't got the army around him to enable him to go and do what he does best. Uh, but on paper, that starting 11 is mm. underperforming for sure. I did I did look at the eleven. I did notice a few things. So Joel Linton was obviously in the eleven, but he was playing on the wing. He isn't a winger at all. Like like he's as we saw when he played up front, he's not a forward. So even though he was in the eleven, he was previously playing in the middle of the park, wasn't he, with Gramera. So you can look at the eleven and and say, yeah, most of the people are starting, but I mean having Joel Linton out wide Trent Alexander-Arnold on Newsday hasn't had the easiest game in his life like that for ages because Joel Linton just isn't a winger. So therefore his, his frailties in defence just weren't tested, were they? So yeah, I mean, as soon as they do start getting players back, I mean, Harvey Barnes will come back into that side and play on the wing as well, won't he? So when those players do come back, I think they will pick up. But I, I do believe that you just are starting to see sort of like the natural balance being restored where they should be, which sounds harsh, but they did overachieve last year. I mean, the... the- one nine, one three, lost nine. You know, they are the epitome of uh, mediocre now, aren't they? As our Man United were one ten, lost nine. Uh, mm. Man United are bumbling along. If we're being honest, Manchester United are bumbling along. I mean, even the the, 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 the victory against Aston Villa on Boxing Day. Papers are cracks. It, exactly what I was about to say for me that because they were 2 0 down. Like, you know, and, and every team has that in you. When you're 2 0 down, you, you, you're kind of free. Let's give it a go, see what happens. But you shouldn't be too new down at home. For me, they're just they're just average. Like this is another wasted season. You know, I don't know how they solved the problem. But for me, obviously, Ineos coming now, uh, they still, from what I can see, haven't appointed Paul Mitchell. But that seems to be very much the person they're looking to bring in to kind of move the, the transfers forward. But you know, Anana, this is quite a good one for Anana. Apparently, is asked not to go to Cameroon too early in the the, champ, uh, the, the African Cup of Nations so that he can. Stay at Man United. And of course, the next game against Spurs and all of our Spurs fans are saying, please keep him, please don't make him go to the African Confederations so he can be in goal against us. Uh, they just need a complete squad overhaul, don't they? They're, they're in so much, I don't, I don't know how many transfer winners it's going to take for them to catch up the teams above them. I think what they need to do is they need to reset the club. They need to understand where they are and that, yes, they are Manchester United. And you know the expectation is that they should be challenging for Europe, being Europe every single year. But they've got to understand where they are. Because if they don't do this, it's just going to carry on and carry on and carry on. And they're going to have this problem for years and years. I think they need to reset the club. They need to understand where they are. and need to go, right, we need to bring in a, a manager, a project manager. And they need to stick by him. And they need to go with that that project. Whether that's Ten Hag or not, people can answer that question. But they then need to have a clear out of all of those players, don't they? They need to get 15 players out the door. Whether they just release some of them or not, they can possibly afford to do that. But they need to then go and bring in those players that are going to have that identity. And whether they start with young players or not, or whether they go and get quite a few experienced heads, what they do, I I honestly don't know. Because I think they're in that much of a mess that they almost need to clear out all of the players and start again, which, like you said, it's possibly going to take three, four, five transfer windows. But 
that's what they need to do because the players that they may at the minute aren't good enough. Some of them are there to pick up a wage and they just need to reset, get young, hungry players in and go from there, in my opinion. And, and, and then we come, so, so I'm going to kind of go up the league table and come back down to, to talk about something that, uh, when we talk about manager of the seasons, for me, there's a couple of more, more candidates for different reasons than, than ever before. You know, Rob Edwards at Luton for the way he's handling everything that's gone on there and, and, and keeping them winning with a chance. Uh, Iriola at Bournemouth, Gary O'Neill at Wolves are both doing phenomenal jobs on, top, you know, on, on tight budgets. Uh, I think they both have to be in the mix. But the next one that would have to be in the mix for me would be David Moyes at West Ham. And I know they don't play great football and I know that they're... they're well, let me phrase that. They don't play the stereotypical great football that Pep Guardiola might think is great football. They play great football for the players they've got on the squad they've got. They're currently sitting in sixth on 34 points. You know, they're, they're miles ahead of lots of teams that you would think would be, should be above them. You know, what a phenomenal job he's doing. And, and they're unbeaten in four, picking up 10 points and, and can only start looking up. It's, it's a phenomenal job he's doing. Do you know what wrecks my head, though, is there's still West Ham fans calling for him to be sacked. What more can he do? What more can he do? He's won them a European trophy, sixth in the league. Played, and like you said, they don't play traditionally great football in the sense of like from the Pep Guardiola keeping it on the floor. But I think they do. They play exciting football. You know, they get the ball forward very quickly. They get a lot of men in the box. So I think it's exciting football. Um, what more can he do? I will say, did you watch the game yesterday? <laughs> it was the most boring game I've ever seen. So yeah, when they do matter, I've been boring. That was boring. But I think that also had part to play because Brighton, the way that they play, is very slow. It's just that there was no. There was no energy in the game. It's very boring. We're going off the top of it. But yeah, I mean, he, he's done a great job there. Um, I'd be interested to see what they look to do in January because they're, they're going to be hurt in January, aren't they, by um, AFCON. Kudos going and Paqueta being injured is, is definitely going to hurt them. That, you could see that yesterday. That hurt them massively. They didn't have a lot of didn't have a lot of creativity at all, really. So if they could do something in January to boost that squad, they're going to have a shout of pushing for that fifth, fourth position. Um, so I had, a, I had an argument with my brother-in-law on Boxing Day. Uh, not, not, this one was football related. Uh, and, and we were talking about uh, different football teams. And we're about to come on to sort of those Champions League spaces, hence why this is a, this is a nice intersection for that conversation. And he was talking about um, if Spurs lost two players, they'd be bang average, they'd be, they'd be in trouble. I sort of went, well, they already have. And I went, but if you flip down its head and Spurs sign, two really good players, they could be a very, very good team if everybody's fit. And it's the same for West Ham, isn't it? Is that, yeah, of course, you take two players out of any team and let's, let's play the two players, right? I was just you know, about to say that. You do that to any team and you you could cripple. You take Salah and Van Dijk out of Liverpool, they're not a shadow of the team that they are. Or Alisson, you know, take Alisson out of mm. Liverpool, who's arguably best, you know. Like you, see, you, see, you see what happens when Rodri's not playing for Man City. Don't even take two, take one, take Rodri out of Man City. But if you put two new players into all of these teams, so like I said, your point there about West Ham is that how brave are you going to be in this market? If you can get to, because that midfield now, I think actually when they're all fit, Warprouse, Alvarez, Paqueta, Bowen and Kudos is arguably top two midfield player, top to top midfield, top three midfields in the league. You've got Suchek on the bench as well, haven't you? As well, you've got a bit of strength in depth there as well. Yeah, I, I think they've done a great piece of business selling Rice and actually boosting the squad with the players that they got. And again, I go back to an argument that I had with my mate who's a Man U fan. I said they've got a better squad than United. Not just individuals, some, some individuals here. They've got a better squad. Like I said, Suchek at, at one point was sitting on the bench, couldn't get any minutes. And he's a quality midfielder in the Premier League. He'd walk into Man United's side. So, yeah, I mean, you take two players out, but you'll add them in. Yeah, of course you're even going to be better or, or worse for, for that sense. So, it's a bit of a silly argument, really. West Ham just need a centre-forward, don't they? If, 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 I was, if I was on the West Ham, I'd be looking for... And again, we spoke about it many times, and I know that there's many... That guess from, from uh, Germany has got that £16 million release clause of 15.6 million. Uh, if I was them, I'd be... I'd be chauffeuring him back to, to the London Stadium pretty bloody quickly because he, he could... They're only five points, six points off the Champions League spot. If they had a centre forward that could bang in twenty goals, they, they, they could even make Champions League this season. Absolutely, yeah. So you, all, I mean, Arsenal are dropping like a stone at the minute, aren't they? They're looking terrible form. Spurs have still got injuries, so they should be pushing fifth and fourth definitely. Villa, are Villa, going to keep up that pace? You know, like I said, we said before, all it takes is an injury or two. So they absolutely, if they can get, like you said, get forward, 
goal, a proper goal scorer in there to score goals because I think that's absolutely what they've lacked for years. Haven't they? They've tried to solve that that problem for quite a few years, but if they get a proper goal scorer in that squad, especially now it's balanced in midfield. They've got a very very good side and should be pushing Champions League. So nice segue. Champions League spots. Uh, obviously, we don't know yet whether it's going to be four or five. So let's go with four, just because you know it's it's a bit of a gamble that the fifth one happens. Um, really interesting over Christmas for me. Really interesting over uh, December for me, actually, in, in the sense that, like you said, Arsenal have won one of five, dropped points against you know Aston Villa away. Not a massive surprise with the form they were in. Uh, obviously, dropping points away at Liverpool, not a massive surprise. But to get pumped 2-0 by West Ham at home and then to lose away to Fulham. Has has the bottle gone again at, at, at Arsenal? Are they can they be seriously you know the, the, the joke doing around this top on Christmas Day, fourth on New Year's Day, you know, they're five points off the top overnight, but like they were top just a couple of it feels like a week ago. Can they be taken seriously or, or are they in danger of needing to look over their shoulder and missing out on Champions League altogether? It's a really intriguing question. Um I don't really know which way to spin it, to be honest, because they're definitely still in, in the hunt, aren't they? They're still up there on 40 points. They're five points behind and they've got a very, very good squad. But the way that they're playing at the minute, the thing that alarmed me the most was the manner of the defeat against Fulham. They didn't look like scoring. You know, it was a very lucky goal that they scored early on against Fulham. But after that, they didn't look like scoring. Like Fulham absolutely looked like the team on the ascendancy who were going to you know, take the, the, the game by the scruff of the neck and score the goals. So that, to me, is a worry. Um, you know, we've mentioned that they may have FFP, you know, might be struggling to, to comply with FFP um, if they try and go all out for some for new players and in the Ivan Tony one. But for me, they need a forward. Like, Jesus just, I mean, he's got two goals all year, something like that. Like, you've got to have your goal score. If you're going to win a league, you have to have somebody up front who's scoring 20 goals a season. You can't just rely on Saka and Martinelli to score your goals from the wings. You've got to have somebody up front. And I like Jesus, he links the play well, but... For me, if they don't sign a forward, a goal scorer, a you know, proper number nine up there who's going to lead the line like an Ivan Tony and score them the goals, they're not going to win the league. It's interesting. But watching them very, very closely, I think Saka and Martinelli are getting away with daylight murder. You, know, you look at what they were doing last season and they were scoring goals, chipping in with assists. They were, they were, they were machines. And I know Saka scored at the weekend, but your point around it wasn't a well-crafted goal. It was an opportunity. To, you know, it was an opportunity. Easy for you to say. It was, it was a, a bit rick- It was a ricochet, wasn't it, off yeah, the keeper, yeah. which then sort of he just tapped in. So it wasn't even like the goal was created. It was very fortunate. And, it, and even that touch was was a, was an ugly touch that bobbled in rather than kind of you know confidently mm. putting. So both of those look like they've been sussed out. Martinez doesn't look half the player that he was. Neither the Saka for me personally. Again, you know that, that they were where, which actually created space for the centre forward to score goals because the defence was so kind of pulled apart. But actually, they're almost going one on one with him now. But you look at the next three fixtures, you know, Crystal Palace. If you'd have asked me five weeks ago, I'd have said that was a comfortable home win, but I'm not so sure that is anymore. But, you know, they've just lost the Fulham, you know, they've just lost the West Ham. With Elise and Eze in the squad, I could see them causing trouble. They then uh, go to Notts Forest away, which is a ground where they've struggled at a lot recently. Again, you know, last season potentially cost them the league. So, so again, I could end up with Notts Forest with their renewed kind of confidence and energy. And then they've got Liverpool again. So, those three games, if they don't win those three games, I, I could see teams going above them that, that shouldn't be above them in, in the every logic of the, what the season was showing us. Mm. Do you know what's a real interesting point to debate about how this is happening? I've seen Declan Rice getting a fair bit of stick recently, saying that he's been slowing up their play. I think it's an interesting debate because uh, I think he's had a very good season, to be honest, and has looked very good in there. But I did watch him defensively. I did watch him quite closely and he does take a lot of time on the ball. So whether or not he's still trying to adapt to the style of play or not, I, I don't know. But you know, you mentioned Saka and Martinelli. I still think they're sort of doing what they do. But when you look at the, the positions they're getting the ball, they're, they're being doubled up on immediately. So obviously, you know, managers are doing their job properly. They're putting doubling up on their main threats. But last season, they were getting the ball very early and they were one-on-one with the full-backs and they're having them on toast. This season, it's not, I watch Saka. It's very rare that you see him run by his fullback now. It's mainly because you see the centre half tucking around, but they're not getting the ball out quick enough to them. The tempo's not there. So, yeah, I mean, unless they can pick that tempo up and whether or not Declan Rice is the main cause of that, because he seems to be the, the common denominator in there, if you like. That's, you know, he's the new player in their midfield that's 
you know, and that's not making them tick. And you know, I thought Odegaard seems to have a bit of an upturn in form recently. I think he does look like he's picking up form, but it's, it's coincided with them losing points. So, yeah, I, th- I just think they're a real curious case. I can't really put my finger on it, to be honest. It's funny, isn't it, how uh, in life, sometimes you not being there makes your value go up. Mm. And and it looks like Xhaka, who was one of those players that everybody wanted to kind of hit with a stick, he's useless, he's this, he's that, he's left. And they've replaced him with Havertz, you know, whatever they've done hasn't. And look at what he's doing at Leverkusen, and he's now absolutely integral to what Leverkusen are doing. Uh, maybe we, we were just all sold a bit of a dummy on, on Xhaka not being very good, because actually maybe he is the missing piece that nobody knew how important he was until he, until he, until he left. Mm, well, it looks like, and that's, that was the sort of the point about Rice, wasn't it? Like, it may not be Declan Rice, but it could be like you said, that Xhaka's not there. But there's definitely something that just looks off. And we said it all season about them, haven't we? Even though they've been, they're, they're up there, we have said it all season to them, that they just don't look right. So there's something about that. And whether or not, you know, it could be part party's not played all year. It could be him. Yeah, obviously, uh, party and his injuries uh, is, is an ongoing battle that, that is beyond the, the, the wit of man. I don't, I don't know how you can possibly miss that many games. The other thing I would say, we spoke about uh, Liverpool, uh, maybe even right back. I thought Ben White looked completely disinterested and completely dis- just not interested in the game at all against Fulham and actually they hooked him and went to a back three but I, I think Arsenal need a proper right back you know, Ben White is a centre back that they've kind of hashed into a right back and it gets you so far but for me they need a almost a Livermento you know somebody that's going to go past and to help Saka with the overload to help Saka create some different angles that Ben White just doesn't seem to be doing this season I think actually maybe Ben White is Saka's problem as much as the centre four being the problem I would also look at the left back. I think they need a left back. So Zinchenko is great, and he, you know, he's um, he's very tidy on the ball. But your fullbacks give you width, and you know, you look at uh, you know Liverpool in the past with the two fullbacks, and you're giving them width and giving them attacking threat. Arsenal's both don't give them any threat. You know, Zinchenko tooks inside and gets the ball ticking over, which is not really threatening. Um, like I said, Ben White is, has never been a threat. He's not that type of player. He's a centre half, like you said. So for me, I think they need some. Like, definitely agree. I think they need new fullbacks. Um, that's possibly another reason why you're seeing those two um, wingers being doubled up on because they know that nobody's overlapping them. So therefore, they just tuck in narrow and just say, "Go on and run down the line," knowing that they've got cover around them. So yeah, I agree. I think they need. I think they need to look at those fullback areas to get somebody Livermento. They're not going to get him, but in that mould, that's definitely what they need. Somebody who's going to be pacey, overlapping to give the space to Saka and Martinez for them to be able to run at their defenders one on one. So do we now think that this is, uh, and we're flip-flopping by the way, so we're as bad as everybody else because we keep moving the goalposts and changing our thought process. Well, ish. Do you think this is now a two-horse race between Man City and Liverpool? Unfortunately, yes, I do. I say unfortunately because at one stage it looked like it was going to be a four or five-horse race and we looked like we had the the most interesting Premier League race of, of a good few years. We've gone back to status quo, haven't we, where it does look like it's going to be a Manchester City-Liverpool race, which has been interesting over the years. So it's not like you know Bayern Munich are just running away with the league. So we can we can find ourselves fortunate on that count. And, and Bayern Munich can't run away with the league this season. So, nope. <laughs> like Granit Xhaka, like Leverkusen. Let's not go down that route. So, 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 so I mean, we don't need to start peeling. Obviously... Liverpool have had this kind of reinvigoration of their midfield. You know, it looks like you know, Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott, a couple of, uh, of interesting sort of additions in that mix that, that kind of keep the, the the strength going, give them options. But but a player that's gone really under the radar is, is Endo. Uh, and actually, I think a player that, that probably the Liverpool fans were really underwhelmed with at the time, but actually he's become the glue it just sits in front of that defence, makes the ugly fouls when needed to, wins the ball when needed to, keeps the ball ticking. I think he's been a really, really underrated signing this season. I watched him closely the last couple of games and he, he does a really good job in it. Really goes unnoticed, but he really has been, a, for, the, for what they pay for him, I think he's been valued for money beyond belief. Oh, I, I agree. I, he is somebody who you would have in your team every day of the week, but you'd like you said, you'd never notice him. He's not like he's going to stand there and spray passes around and stuff. He is just a very basic player. And I mean that with the greatest respect is you need that person in your team, somebody who's going to be solid and give you a seven, eight out of 10 every week. And you know, he's so reliable. He's going to be a huge miss for them going to the Asia cup. 
um, possibly more than someone like Son going from Spurs. Because like you said, they don't really have that extra person in midfield who's going to be able to do that job with the reliability that he does. So I think the next few weeks is going to be really crucial for Liverpool to see how they cope with that, with missing Endo. Because like I said, I don't think they've got anybody who can sit and fill in that hole. Talking about that, like, is it really that difficult to have the African Cup, the Asian Cup and the Euros all on at the same time? It, it baffles me why the AFCON has always been during a season, it's just it's just ridiculous, isn't it? Like, like you said, how hard is it just to have everything at the end of a seat of a European season? If you're if you're head of African football, whatever that head of Afcon, it must stop clubs buying players from your federation because, like I say, there'll be a whole bunch of people that going, oh yeah, no, we can't buy that player this year because there's an Afcon and we can't lose him for four potentially four weeks or whatever it is. Like, surely with the way that we consume football now, there's enough people on the planet to watch. You know, tournaments that run side by side, that run concurrently, that you know, with different time zones and different timings. You, you can make that work, surely, where you have them all on it you know, within a five-week period, albeit slightly staggered, so that the finals aren't on the same. It becomes a festival of football that might even overtake the World Cup in a way, because actually mm. each team's got a slightly better chance of winning the World Cup. And, and it just feels like you're, you're kind of making every league in Europe weaker. Because I'm, let's be honest, again, sorry, Speak for myself. I'm not going to watch the Asian Cup, and I'm probably not going to watch much of the Afcon if there's still English football on. Yeah, so it's not like you're gaining. You're not, you're not gaining my viewership by doing it. Like I'm not going to not watch West Ham versus Brighton because you know Ghana versus Zambia is on. Likewise, South Korea versus uh, you know Japan. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to watch those games if mm. Brighton, West Ham are on, as an example. Do you know what I find interesting is because it's obviously during the season. There's been a lot of players pull out of their of the Afcon to stay at their clubs where they've said they're injured or you know there's there's been a few where they've said they just want to stay and earn a contract at their club, which can you imagine somebody being called up for England like James Madison as an example being called up for England and just saying I'm going to work hard but I'm going to stay with Spurs and work hard it just wouldn't happen would it because there's, there isn't that requirement to do that because a World Cup generally is at the end of the season. So, yeah, I just think it, it puts the players in a position as well where they have to end up choosing club or country, which, in some cases, club wins, which should never happen. Yeah, it just seems like, you, you know, we're going to have almost whoever has the least amount of players leaving is going to have the better chance at a time. Anyway, like I, say, I know there's not many games in January, but, but it just seems like a crazy time to be taking so many players out. So, Liverpool, Man City... As we, you know, obviously Man City have come back now, Club World Cup champions. Do you think that Man City are now going to go on their usual kind of post-Christmas, post-New Year blitz of the league and and, and, and walk away with it? Or, or do you honestly believe that, that Liverpool have actually got a chance of clinging in there and, and, and maybe nicking it based on, you know, because you know, again, even missing Salah for two games, you know, even missing Endo for two games feels like a big loss for, for, for mm. Liverpool compared to what Man City aren't going to be missing. I think the next few weeks, so let's say the next five games, will give you a huge indication of whether Liverpool are going to be able to keep up. Um, I think what Man City have got in their favour is where De Bruyne and Haaland have been out injured, they've been resting as well. So it's not like they're going to be burnt out. So it's almost, I know they're injured, but they're having this break period as well. And they're both on the cusp of coming back, aren't they? So those two especially are going to come back relatively fresh, um, which for them, for me, I see that as a huge positive for them. Where you know those have never been rotated. Yes, they've been injured, but they're going to come back hungry, fresh. Especially De Bruyne, he's going to come back really hungry, isn't he? Missing half a season. Um, I can see Man City like are ploughing on now, get those two players back, and just blitzing teams like they used to. Um, if Liverpool can get by the next few weeks without Salah and Endo, and still picking up three points and be in the mix for when those two come back, I think we've got a big title race on because I, I can't see a lot of sides beating Liverpool. It's just these next few weeks where they're going to have those opportunities for teams to beat them. Yeah, the, the next game for Man City feels pretty massive as it does for Newcastle, of course, because it's Newcastle versus Man City. Uh, if Man City can go to St James's Park and get the win, that would be a real, as much as I know Newcastle aren't maybe the force they were, you know, all that good stuff you're playing at St James's Park at 5.30 on Saturday night is still an intimidating place to go. If Man City can go there and, and do what they've done in the past and steamroll Newcastle with a comfortable, even a, a scrappy win, that for me would be a real statement victory for them in their quest to now go sort of 17, 18 games up beating like they tend to do every season. season. Yeah. Um, you look at, like I said, the form of Newcastle there. I mean, if you just said it a few weeks ago, you said, yeah, it's a hard place to go. But you look at that now and, I mean, is anybody going to be back in Newcastle to beat Man City? 
No, I wouldn't. No. I, wouldn't. I can't see them laying a glove. Although I, I did think Newcastle played well against Liverpool. I thought they looked more back to themselves. They put up a fight, had a few chances. Um, but still conceded four goals, didn't they? So, yeah, I mean, I, do, I can't see how anybody would be thinking that Man City don't beat Newcastle. But yeah, I mean, you still got to go there and win. It's a tough place to go. And conceded the joint highest ever Premier League XG against Newcastle, obviously. Uh, you know, it, it could have been seven, eight, or nine if we're being honest. And you know, it was, they got to one all was the mystery. I mean, it was just bizarre how, how they even scored. But anyway, yeah. You know, so uh, you're going for Man City to win the league? Unfortunately, it's boring, isn't it? But I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, I think Man City will will win the league now. Uh, before the Club World Cup, I was looking and going, this is an opportunity for teams to put some distance between them, put the pressure on them. And uh, Arsenal were the ones for me. I thought Arsenal would, would win the league. But after the way they've been playing the past few weeks and dropping those points, if they'd have put six points on the board there, I'd have said to you, Arsenal will win the league. But not now. I think they've missed their opportunity. They've missed the boat. And so, top four, what have you got left out of the remains? Obviously, Villa have had a bit of a... If any other team had gone to Sheffield United and then conceded sort of three goals to lose to Man United, they'd be talking about the wobble. Obviously, the... the, the Somewhat scrapping three to win against Burnley kind of probably makes us forget that. They've hit a rough patch. Uh, who do you see now making the top four? Obviously, currently occupied by Liverpool, Western Villa, Man City, Arsenal. But we've spoken about West Ham. If they can maybe get one or two signings, he could, could trouble. And obviously, Spurs are one point somehow behind Arsenal. It feels like that they should be at least eight or nine points behind Arsenal, but they're only one point behind Arsenal and Man City. Who are then, do you think, at the end of the season will be in the top four? I feel the current top four will remain, obviously not in that order, but I think those will be the top four and I think Spurs will will stay in fifth. Um, However, January is a huge window for a few of these clubs. I'm looking at Villa and going, you have to get, once you're in a strong position, go and get stronger. I think they've got the owners to go and do that. So I'm going to be really interested to see who they do do go and buy. And obviously Spurs missing Son for a few weeks is going to be massive and I, I think that could be could have a big part to play in that top four race, to be honest. I think those few weeks where they're missing him, if they do drop points because he's not there, I don't think they're going to have enough to, to claw it back. But I think those will be the top five with Spurs pushing very hard. I think they'll just miss out possibly on the, like, the last game of the season. Yeah, I think for Spurs, obviously, Tsar is also going to the AFCON as well, uh, who's been a very underrated player in that midfield. Obviously, scored the first goal against uh, Bournemouth. Uh, obviously, Romero's still out. We don't know when Madison and Van der Ven are back. Uh, so I think for them, I think you're right. I think you have to look at the, the top four being a top four and being honest with you, I think if you asked any Spurs fan at the start of the season, if, you, if you're going to finish fifth at the end of the year with everything that's happened, you don't take your arm off now for it, right? As a Spurs fan and, and hopefully next season, you, you, you find a way of keeping your players not getting sent off and suspended and not picking up so many injuries. Mm. I think Spurs is a really interesting club though to look at for the season they have. They've had a great season so far with the injuries that they've missed. You look at their form, it's phenomenal with the players that they've got out. Um, if you can get a couple back in there, there's absolutely no reason why they can't push for that top four because they're still outperforming with the squad and the, the 11 that they're putting out there. They're outperforming, aren't they, at the minute? So give them a couple more players back. Like I said, a Van der Ven and Madison. I don't know how far away they are, but if they're not that too far off and they strengthen in January... They're definitely pushing top top four, aren't they? But you know they've got the squad to be able to do that when they're all fit. So, like like mentioned before, add a couple into it and bring a couple of injuries back. They're well in the mix. So I had this debate with somebody the other day. Is that I actually think that Postel Coglu, uh, I know he's one manager of the month uh, this season a couple of times, but I actually think that December is the first time he deserves it. With the players they're missing to draw against Man City away, it was a defeat against West Ham that's probably meant that's not going to happen. Uh, but obviously, uh, you've got some victories against Newcastle 4-1, uh, Notts Forest 2-0. Uh, obviously, they beat Bournemouth at the weekend, who were bang on form. Uh, and they won on Boxing Day as well against Everton. Like for me, actually, sorry, on the 23rd, for me, actually, what he's done in December is far more impressive than what he did at the start mm-hmm. of the season. Mm, yeah, he definitely deserves it. I think the only other manager to chuck in on, on that is the Bournemouth manager, Erla. Oh, yeah, he's been fantastic, yeah. yeah. He, he put, yeah, I think he's going to win it, isn't he? With what, where they've come from, four wins on the bounce. I think it was disappointing they lost the other day as well. I fully back them. If he did won that, it was nailed on, wasn't he? But yeah, it's going to be between a couple of them. Gary Neal as well. I think some of the things he's done in December, he'll be in, in with a shout, won't he? So, uh, five pounds to a stranger challenge. Uh, I'd like to thank Leeds for cocking up my 170 to one five pound challenge on Boxing Day. Uh, no pressure, no problem. Uh, this time, obviously, we're going to have 
dig a bit deeper down the food chain because there's no Premier League football. So we've got League One, League Two, and FA Cup going on. I'm going to kick off with a uh, what is it? Let's have a look here. Sorry, I've, I've got it here. I've got a what is it? Why is it not showing me? Oh, sorry, I've got a six and a half to one fourfold. Uh, so I've got for Derby to beat Fleetwood. I've gone Portsmouth to beat Cheltenham. I've gone Barrow to beat Tramley and Stevenage to beat Maidstone Town. Uh, Maidstone Town? Maidstone United, sorry. Uh, it's a six and a half to one fourfold this weekend that feels pretty safe to me. Mm-hmm. I've gone down a very similar path to you. I've gone Derby to win, Portsmouth to win in the league and I've gone into the FA Cup. So I've gone Leicester, Newcastle, Man City and Man United to win. So it's a six-fold. Um, and a fiver pays back £69.31. So it's about 11.5 to 1, but you get a boost on about 3.65 if you do an ACA. So it pays back £69. Well, uh, let's hope that we can get one of these bugs over the line sooner rather than later. Uh, but as always, Fran, uh, thank you for your time. My favourite uh, week to have you back. Happy New Year again to everybody. Uh, where can people reach out and find us? So if you want to listen to the podcast, we are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you want to reach out to us and get in touch, you can either leave a, a, a message on Spotify to us and we'll get back, or you can go on Twitter or X and send us a direct message or reply to any of our tweets. Um, we're looking to get some guests on, aren't we, this year? So if anyone wants to come on, um, I know that I'm eyeing up a couple of people on Twitter to come on as guests. That is not just eyeing them up in general. Um, so yeah, I mean, one one person I mind up is is there's a couple of guys on there who are sort of local referees who have got quite a big following and they're they're firing back at people with opinions about the Premier League refs. So I'd be interested to get somebody on to have a debate about the refereeing and their their side of things, which ties into our news resolutions, doesn't it? So, awesome, good idea, like it. Okay, well, uh, good stuff. Looking forward to what twenty twenty four brings. Looking forward to hopefully entertaining more and more people as we go through the year. So as always, Fran, thank you very much, and I'll speak to you next week.